0: blue wire the philadelphia 76ers select joel mb ben simmons here comes simmons between the legs wow,
1: welcome everybody to another episode of the new slant as always i'm your host kyle newbeck this week our podcast is being brought to you by roman so shout out to those guys for keeping our lights on as always, I am here with my buddy, my pal, who I believe was at the, uh, quite an interesting Sunday night game in South Philly, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you doing?
2: Doing well. Throat's a little scratchy from the game, for sure. Uh, went there with my girlfriend, Ashley, and her parents were in town, so that was their oh, first no big Sixers deal. game in probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years or something like that.
1: So it was fun. Oh, that's high entertainment value game. I mean, it was yeah, it it was. Like they
2: were... Until they were like six minutes, I was like, wow, this is the perfect game for them to come to. It's fun and exciting, but it's not too stressful. It's great. And then like the last six minutes happened. I was like, hey, well, this is kind of what like every Sixers game is like.
1: Yeah, I, I guess like you want it where it like kind of reinvigorates them a little bit. So maybe you drag them down a little more. But then uh, the, you want them to go in with the right expectations. You like, got hey, the this full is- Sixers experience tonight. Exactly. This is what you signed up for coming down and this is what you'll get. So before we talk about the the calamity at the end of that game, I guess we can start with uh, our friend, Mr. Matisse Theibel. I, I say our friend. I don't Jeez. think he's either one of our friends, but not Matisse as, Thibel, of, as of
2: now, he's not,
1: but who knows? <laughs> who Sheamus was extremely bold about in our preseason predictions and, and really even when he was kind of on the The outskirts of the rotation, and I think I mean tonight was probably I think that was his career high that he set in points tonight. It was yes. So I mean it was just I think you could consider that a breakout performance when he has he sets a career high in points. He's great on defense. He just looks like he belongs with this group. I I mean I I was better than
2: it should be. I feel like the most impressive last week.
1: The most impressive thing to me was that he pass faked someone yeah. to get himself an open three and I was like, man, who is this kid? That was just stuff that he wasn't even thinking about doing before. I, I think his Robert Covington doesn't even know that
2: move exists.
1: Oh my God. Well, Robert Covington would, would take some of the same shots that Matisse took beginning of the year where it's like a 30-foot, four seconds into the <laughs> shot clock, pull up three on a catch and shoot. And I, listen, I appreciate... The irrational confidence that it takes to uh, to attempt shots like that. But I, I think the key for Matisse, at least on offense, is that he seems to be finding this, his spots better and he's not trying to take, he's not coming flying around screens like he's J.J. Redick or Marco Bellinelli or any of the various shooters who thrive in that style. He's squaring up. He's getting his shoulders facing the rim. Brett Brown has talked about this a little bit. Matisse has talked about the analytics department going to him and be like, "Hey, buddy, these are the shots that that work for you and don't work for you." And you give a young kid credit for coming in and understanding. I have to listen, and I, I I'm I don't know everything, but I can still put my imprint on the game the way I know how. I think he's found a nice balance between being himself and, and learning on the fly. Here,
2: here's an article idea for you. Not one that you, it's going to happen immediately, but something you work on for a little bit. See how Sixers players react. If you get any insight into how receptive they are into the team's analytical department with the things that they bring to them, the numbers they bring them, and do they actually want to input it in the game? What does Brett tell them? Is it sort of, is Brett a middleman or the, is the analytics team coming directly to him? And specifically specifically with the young guys, like how is a guy like Thibault responding to that? Does he have any history with that whatsoever at Washington? Different things like that, I think, would be something cool for you to do.
1: Yeah. And well, and I think here's the thing with like, obviously, it's hard I mean, to get access
2: to do that, but just, you it know. is.
1: But also like, here's the thing with analytics that I, like, I would say you and I broadly are in support of yes, what do the numbers say. And I don't like, like
2: people, I, but I like, I like the idea of them and yeah, the numbers like, themselves.
1: They're, they're certainly not the gospel. And sure. Yeah. Co- but, what but we're both pro analytical people. Certainly. Yes. But on the other side of that is like if these guys get scouting reports before games, right? And so they'll have – like I'm just completely making this up. But let's say they get a sheet for the Raptors and it says Kyle Lowry likes to go right 60% of the time. If he's on the low post, he likes to do this, et cetera, et cetera. And like you can give those guys those numbers and they can watch the the tape and say, okay, this is what I planned for. Or if a guy is a non-shooter, it's like, oh, he's a 20% shooter from the right corner. So going into the game, you think, okay, I'm going to leave that guy alone. Now, if you're that person who read that scouting report and you see that guy make his first two threes from the right corner, it's going to be hard to to think just about like, the hey, analytics in the middle of the game. Yeah. Like, there is the there's always 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 no matter how receptive these guys are there's the human element that they have to adjust on the fly like you don't want to just get it, it's never a good excuse to say like well the math said this so we just never adjusted like i i don't believe that's the way to go forward i certainly don't think that's how the sixers uh run things but i think that's what a lot of guys would tell you is that they they certainly take everything into consideration but once they're on the floor Every game is a, a living, breathing organism onto itself.
2: Don't look. Just answer immediately. Who do you think had the highest plus minus in the game?
1: Uh, I'm going to guess it was somebody crazy. So it'll either be like a role Ennis, player. Or, yeah, Ennis or yeah, just, Neto.
2: Yeah, just a role player. Yeah, Ennis.
1: Yeah, I was going to guess Neto. But I plus knew 19.
2: The... Uh, the next highest is uh, the young thigh bull himself with plus 13.
1: Nice. Well, so actually that... That's probably a good segue. I think one of the things that's been really encouraging with this team lately, even though they've had some bumps in the road, the Washington game being the clear standout there, is that I think that second unit where they bring in – like Ben is still on the floor. Horford is still on the floor. Harris is still out there in some cases, but it depends on how they're running it. But Theibel and Ennis come in, and then they just are like this – run up and down, jump into passing lanes, up tempo, just punch you in the mouth style team. And I think they look really dangerous in those looks. I think the numbers, even offensively, when when it's just Ben and Horford on the court, are really, really good. And I think – I mentioned this on Twitter earlier. Brett Brown said he wanted to develop – what he called a bomb squad with the bench yeah, in the preseason where, yeah, where they're just like they're flying into passing lanes. They're getting their hands on balls and they're running the break. And I think you've really seen that start to, to coalesce here as they've gotten some more time together. And as Matisse has left his imprint on the rotation.
2: I love him. <laughs> there's Here's a question I really don't want to ask, ask, and I wish that I didn't know the answer to. Are they more fun when Ben when Joel Embiid's sitting on the bench, and Ben's it's Ben Simmons like offensive?
1: Well, I I mean I think the the ceiling for quote unquote fun or like fun factor is probably higher just because it's hard to be as fun of a team. Is it what's like
2: fun about like plotting? Am I right, saying yeah? When you yeah. just
1: play a slow pace, I do think like obviously there's recency bias here. Joel has played poorly lately and I mean yeah
2: but even tonight when he played he had a couple there was like a 2 minute stretch where he had like two or three nice hooks in a row and I was like oh this is awesome right. then let me rethink it but then also it's like uh, what's going to happen Yeah
1: and in my post game recap I, I I mentioned tonight I said one of the things that's really good about having Horford is that these guys sort of have different players that they struggle against like Joel Just struggles kryptonite. against these Joel struggles against these big burly type guys like Marcus Gasol, sometimes against Jokic, so sometimes against Rudy Gobert, like the guys that hold up really well strength-wise and don't allow him to go through them. Now, Al Horford, the guys that he struggled against historically are like the nimble Tristan Thompson types that just like really crash the offensive glass hard. Or can go vertical and throw lobs down on them and those aren't guys that generally have given Joel problems so I think maybe at some point this year we might see a situation where okay maybe Horford is only going to play 20 minutes tonight or maybe Joel is only going to play 20 to 25 minutes and, and some of that has to be like they would have to be winning these games handily and taking advantage of those matchup advantages and strengths and weaknesses but I do think as much as there are, I guess, like, playoff concerns for the Embiid-Horford pairing, I think in a lot of regular season games, there are ways to get around the nights like Joel had tonight. And they certainly did up until the, uh, the disaster of a closing stretch. Because he was bad, and the game was never really close until the end.
2: Yeah, I also think it's hard that you're saying, like, okay, let's just say, for example, t- Tuesday night. When the people listen to this, it'll be tomorrow for them. They play Jokic. Now, is he a great defender? No, he's bad in space. We all know that. But he does defend Joe decently well in the post just because he's as big as him.
1: Because he's fat and he's he can't fat. Move and Joe is probably a little <laughs> bit fat, but
2: not as fat as him. But how do you say to J- Joe, being bred in this situation, hey, you struggle a little bit, then Scott, you're only going to play 20 minutes tonight. How are you going to tell a guy that we all consider like a seven, top seven, top eight player in the league, someone who's, clearly the face of the franchise and being like, hey, we're not playing you down the stretch because you're like, do you have to wait out those stretches? Like he took him out tonight and it's fine. And I try to be the body language doctor. And I was looking at Joe on the sideline when he took him out and he was, you know, standing up very engaged. I was happy to see that it's good for team morale. But at the same time, I'm thinking like, they're like benching their star, which is weird. But it's also, it gets back to the more, integral point might be, I don't know if you said this, it might have been someone like John Winter tweet or maybe Matt Carey. Someone said this probably wouldn't have happened if Jay Rich was on the team just because they were so devoid of ball handling. And I kind of get that to a degree. So would you would you say if Jay Rich played a night, everything else played this played out the same way, Joe would have stayed in there because they would, could have had relied on the ball handling of Jay Rich as opposed to being to insert Neto into that situation.
1: Yeah, I think in that case, Richardson is just playing over thigh ball and that's just – you're in a much better situation there. Now, some of the problem there is just that Ben had no interest in, in carrying the ball up, and that's like a whole different can of worms. But, like, to your point about trying to – I don't want to say bench Joel, but playing – Yeah, bench was a strong baller. but, yeah, I don't yeah. want to be so aggressive in saying that. No, I was saying, like, I I said that, and that's, that's probably a little – that's strong. But I think the, the key is is not necessarily even Joel. It's The onus is on Ben and Tobias and Josh when he's healthy, that when they get into these backup lineups and it's Ben running things with Horford at center and you can spread the floor against a Jokic, against a Gasol, against a Gobert, he has to take advantage of that. If If Horford's flashing out and popping, and the opposing center has to cover him ben's got to cover that ground and and attack the pain or josh has to do it or tobias has to do it i thought tobias actually did a really good job he's been like i have been he's so good lately yeah i I think we were very critical of him to start the year because the focus was like hey is he making threes is he taking threes blah 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 and he did both of those things tonight but i think the more important thing is that he's really looking to lead on offense? Like there were some shots that are frankly just kind of heat check looks that you don't really see from him, where he's pulling up with a hand in his face, and that's which I kind love of to mentality. see tonight. Oh, absolutely, and I don't think that's a mentality we've seen him show a lot. And so the onus on on those nights when Joel doesn't have it is on those other guys. And so Tobias stepping up tonight is great. Ben Simmons against Cleveland Saturday night with. Joel not playing in that game. Awesome to see him step up. As, as in spite of Cleveland being a terrible team, that's the way this team has to function. It's it's not built to be okay. Joel is just going to save us all the time, and and that's what we have to rely on. They have the high end talent that they can beat good teams even when one of their stars is at a disadvantage. And I think that's going to be that's really is the key to this whole thing is is making sure. When one of their guys is down, that they just pick each other up. That's why it's a team sport, and it's not a uh, tennis or golf.
2: Here's a thought that I came up during this sort of debacle at the end of the game: Would you have said the first like forty-two minutes of that game were a regular season game, and the last six or so were a playoff game, and that's why they struggled? In terms of the way the game played, the way it slowed down, the way they pressed, the way that they needed to have people on the court that could dribble a basketball, and they didn't have that. <laughs> I'm being serious. Um, I, was.
1: I, I would say it was similar. The only way I would say it's similar to a playoff game is that Toronto just threw out a ton of different looks there. Like they went to zone, they went to press. And I think, in, in a weird way, it, it's almost to the Sixers' advantage that they got to all that was put on tape, and now they can go back the next time they play them. Potentially, if they meet them in the playoffs and say, "Okay, if they're down late and they need to get a stop, we have to be prepared for this," and that's something they can specifically work on in a practice setting or from like an advanced scouting perspective. That much is good. I just think like part. I think my big issue with how the Toronto game ended is that's not a thing that coaches should really have to teach you. Like you get taught how to break presses and traps when you're in like high middle school, low high school level basketball. It's not like – like press teams in college a lot of times will win a lot of games in like the ACC or the Big Ten or whatever conference they're in. And then they get to the the tournament and they're playing against the best teams in the country and they lose in like the Sweet 16 because a team can dribble and pass the ball unlike a lot of their competition. So I just – I don't know. I thought that was just a really poor showing. A lot of mental a lot of mental mistakes like Matisse Thybul with the backcourt violation with about 30 seconds left as Toronto was basically conceding the game and then they gave him extra life. That was terrible. And certainly Joel like seven turnovers for him for the game including a few and this final minutes is just not acceptable. Like we, it's not a thing that we can sit here and be like, Oh, he's young and inexperienced and all that anymore. Like it's a tough matchup for him. Yes. That was a style that we're not prepared for. Yes. But he still has to have his head on his shoulders and react better to stuff like that.
2: The seven. Ter- I didn't notice he had seven total turnovers just because he didn't play that much. It felt like he couldn't have had that much until I checked the box right before we started recording. I was like,
1: what? Had six yeah, assists. And
2: I was like, "Oh yeah, his assist to turnover ratio isn't that terrible, but yeah, it still sucks."
1: The other thing with Embiid, I thought there was there was one play they ran. I believe it was in the second quarter that is something they need to do more in the future against Toronto or teams that are aggressive with doubles. Essentially, what they did is they they recognized that Gasol was doubling off of. Embiid when he's hanging on the perimeter because they don't they would let him shoot like 53s out there they just don't care so they posted Harris up and when Gasol went to double Joel immediately went to post and Siakam came from the weak side so he got to post on Siakam rather than Gasol and all Harris has to do is hit him with the pass and then that's just an easy layup but it's a matter of it's got to be quick Joel has to be assertive with the cut and it's something that they have to time it right, but that's that's something they can definitely exploit. Like I, I refuse to believe that Joel Embiid is just going to play terrible against the Toronto Raptors for the rest of his career, or at least as long as Marcus is there.
2: So at least he's old, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I like the funny thing is Brett Brown when they do these uh, pregame press conferences or the build up to the Toronto matchups. He's always like when he's asked what Marc Gasol does well, he's like, he's a he's a defensive player of the year, and I'm like, well, Brett, that was kind of long ago now, and he's definitely old and a lot slower, so I don't know that. Like, I respect Marcus Gasol a lot, but I don't know that. Uh, he's not that's like good the, anymore.
2: Do you, know you mean like t- yeah? To that extent. Well,
1: like I think did he even score in the game on Sunday night? Uh, I don't. He know. put he put up an offer, did zero he? points for Marcus. Gasol. He's made a couple mysteries. 0 for 6, 0 for 4 from 3, no, no free throws. So, yeah, he had the goose egg this time. Like, you, you can't tell me that Joel shouldn't be able to put up at least, like, 20 points on that guy. It might not be, like, a a dominant Joel Embiid game, but I, I firmly believe that they're going to figure this out at some point, and it's, it's a matter of really capitalizing on the, the non-Gasol minutes, I think.
2: Yeah, I like that you did some tweets about it during the game, and it was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense that they didn't necessarily capitalize as well on those abaca as they could have. And I don't want to necessarily throw that on Brett, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, some of that's on like guard. That's also it's
2: just some of it. Just it's an NBA game; things happen; it's fast.
1: Yeah, and like Mike Scott gets a couple open threes. Like, yeah, then you can't him. take Mike
2: out because he's doing well where he struggled the last you know two or three weeks, but uh, Saturday night and Sunday night he did fantastic. He yeah. like I didn't want to say it just because people love him and everything like that. But it seems like he is the guy that gets traded, just from like a salary and yeah,
1: salary wise,
2: it's like it's, almost
1: uh, impossible to make any kind of deal for an impact guy without moving him.
2: Also, isn't he like? It feels like he's getting increasingly expendable. His defense isn't as good as James Ennis's. Uh, you know, I love the fire and everything, but you have Matisse now. Tobias has stepped up as a defender. He's not necessarily the guy you're going to throw out on you know Kawhi in the finals or anything like that so I think you know you move him in a future pick and again the idea of trading picks we could that's a whole different discussion but just say hey they wouldn't trade their 2022 first rounder uh and Mike Scott's contract for someone else who's making like 10 million dollars per year or something like that yeah i i think the only the only bogdanovic is like the guy everyone on twitter says i don't know if that's like we don't need to talk about trades right now but yeah something but the only head.
1: problem that like i would foresee with potentially trading someone like scott is i don't think they are in a position where they can really subtract potential playoff minute guys like i know that he's an imperfect player i mean if you're getting like, a guy you can
2: dribble back i might have just like yeah besides like my brand of joking about that they, they need like another guard
1: oh for sure but But all I'm saying is like, even if he's a 10 minute player in the playoffs and he's just a guy where you come in and you need some instant offense, like there is value in having one of those. And definitely ideally you you make the deal using Zaire Zaire. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not
2: seeing negative at this point.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't want to like just say, "Oh, hey, we haven't seen him in forever." Just to throw. I him just in meant an from like a salary trade. perspective,
2: they're getting the the pick more so than him, you know.
1: Right, but and like, look, the reality of the situation with Zaire is they are their contention window is now, and over the next few years, I'd, like they kind of signaled that and committed to that with the Horford contract, so they don't. I mean, as much as Zaire could develop at some point he's got a great athletic tools he's a hard worker all that stuff flashed in college missing last year which probably would have been a a low minute developmental year for him anyway it makes it really tough for him to like envision what the path forward for him is i don't know he can't play here i mean
2: not nothing against him he could have a good career but it's just not going to happen here just that there's no time to have a guy develop the way he needs to given the unfortunate uh health setbacks he he suffered just you know a year and a half into his career
1: yeah it's it's really it's unfortunate it's difficult and it's it's nothing that he did no he's nothing wrong wrong for him yeah product of circumstance but even look at matisse where i mean he's been really good lately but even he had to go through growing pains and that was with Brown having to change his minutes and do this and that and so like you see the the pains they have to go through I don't know that they can do that with with two different guys this year I think those minutes are thigh balls and certainly it's going to be tough for anybody to really crack the rotation that is not already sort of in there right now so
2: thigh ball feels like an anomaly too where in terms of a young player contributing on a contender
1: oh for sure um, i mean shooting
2: 43 right, so i think someone like sixers the, at him have we did even after the game
1: the three point shooting is just It just needs to be league
2: average it's not going to be like this forever obviously but if he's if he's 36 for this year he's playable in may and june and he'll be great
1: exactly as long as teams have to respect him out there that's basically the only thing that matters all right so that's probably a a good time to take a quick break, talk about our sponsor, and then we'll be right back to talk about some more Sixers.
2: Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work, or sorry honey I'm just not feeling it, or sorry honey the Sixers just blew a fourth quarter lead. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, it's safe, and it's totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free, free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, it's simple, and again, I repeat, it's discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle. Now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. You don't have to deal with this problem. No guy wants to deal with it. It's hard. It's difficult. We've all been there. But it's in the past now. Don't worry about it anymore. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. That's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. I can spell get a free online visit and free two-day shipping that's get roman.com slash blue wire for a free visit to get started
1: you know Sheamus, i really had to resist from when you said it's hard and difficult pointing out that the difficult part is that something is not is that, hard
2: it's so hard it's so <laughs> hard because it's not hard it's so difficult because it's hard because it's not hard
1: <laughs> well on that note what was your favorite part of Ben Simmons? Or you we'll say what's the favorite part <laughs> of the ad read? All of it. against the Cleveland Cavaliers on Saturday the night. The three. Come on. See, like, so I know that's the obvious place to go. Does that
2: just give you a basic answer? But I like to, I like, like him ta- the- like taking it to the, the hole. i Um, like I'm I'm very much on record as saying I'm the, uh, shooting around the rim, finishing around the rim, and free throw rate is much more important than the three point shot.
1: Yeah, and look. I don't think any of that stuff is disconnected. We saw Ben attack from the opening whistle against Cleveland. And look, we can – obvious disclaimers. The Cavs are an absolute trash fire. Like the day before the Sixers played them, a report comes out about how they – Oh, my God. that's hilarious, Their coach the calls curls polar bears and there's just all of this must ecology be big stuff fan. that they do. Oh, my God. What a what a show that was. Our boy, Damon. Our boy. Uh, but so, like, this team is in total disarray. Kevin Love is just, like, not paying attention during timeouts. So all disclaimers ahead of time that that was the team that they played. But even still, when Ben sets his mind to it and he is going aggressively to the rim, when he's seeking contact, he's getting to the free throw line, Normally, those are the times that you see him put up more shots elsewhere. You see those, even though I hate them, those fade away, like mid-range Ugh, two jump shots. Some, well, and look, he. Took I don't those. like them either. They're terrible, but he took those in the same game where he shot the three. I don't think any of it is disconnected. I no, think when complete, one thing. Complete completely. Yeah, when one of them is going well, it, it feeds into the rest of his game, and so the the trick is to get him to a point where hey maybe you're missing some of those shots inside that doesn't mean you should shut down and not attempt any shots like if anything that just gives you more incentive like all right i i got to get right i got to improve here i got to do this i got to do that and that is really like the final barrier for him on offense it's just the mental side of it nobody i don't think anyone in Philadelphia at least like anybody reasonable would look at a box score where Ben goes like six for 14 and say, yeah, you know what? Ben was really out there shooting way too much tonight. Like we just – the Sixers can't have that. Like nobody would sit here and do that. I I think if anything, they would see it as a step forward that he's willing to live with the results of those plays and that he's putting himself in position to to be more of a, a credible scoring threat moving forward.
2: What was your favorite part of the game?
1: Well, that that was it. Was the the way he just he went about his game? I don't. I I get some people get mad because they call me like a a Simmons defender or Simmons truther at times, even though I'm like, I feel like I'm probably much harsher. Yeah, if if you had
2: if we had to look at it from a binary perspective, I would put you in. If we're just saying you can only be pro or anti Simmons in this like ongoing discourse, I'd leave you more towards anti. Correct. Yeah. Not that you don't like him or he's not, you don't think he's great, but just you get what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. No, like, look, I see the talent that him and Joel Embiid have. And I say to myself at times, like, why? Like, you see these great stretches where their talent is obvious and it matches and their work ethic and their commitment to win and all that matches it. And the thought I come away with because I'm not just like blindly rooting for them is like, well, why don't we get this more often? What is that supposed to
2: mean?
1: (laughs) It's like, well, it's like. I'm kidding. (laughs) But think of like the game against Washington the other night, nothing about that loss was like, oh man, Washington really just executed the shit out of that game plan. It was the Sixers didn't care. They didn't show up and they're like, this is a team that came into the season saying we want to get the one seed ben simmons says i want to be the defensive player of the year the best defensive player on the team and like to his credit there have been it long stretches be of, the the year where he's, of the year he's lived up to that kind of. but but if you want to be at that level that means every night it's not just yeah you know when we feel like trying or, or, or we get a toronto type team on the schedule oh hey we get Jokic and Denver on Tuesday, so now it's time to turn it up. And like, they they cannot think that way. And it has to be, I wrote, this is the article I wrote on Friday. So much for this team, like the future of this franchise hinges on, do Joel and Ben want to be great? And like, I, I think they're already very good. I think if they never improved from this point forward, this team could win 50 plus games for a long time anyway and be in the playoffs every year and maybe through happenstance or whatever they just kind of stumble their way into some finals appearances over time but if they want to be what people in this town sort of have hoped that they could be it has to be the approach that some of these other guys are taking like i the examples i've used are like You look at what Giannis is doing in Milwaukee where they just are steamrolling teams, and that's a guy who went further than they did last year, won an MVP award, lost to the same Raptors team. It's coming out smoking people. You look at Siakam, has made all this progress. He was bad against the Sixers, but on balance has been better than Joel Embiid this year. Is certainly ahead of him in MVP-type discussions. You look at even like LeBron James, who that Lakers team – looked like trash last year there were people saying he might be washed he gets anthony davis on his team and he is like as good as we've seen him in years like he is competing hard on defense that's one thing i think you could say about lebron is he's finally playing defense which he certainly wasn't for years uh,
2: time in south beach
1: yeah but like look these guys are showing a level of commitment to win on a night-to-night basis that you don't always see from, from Ben and Joel. And I don't, I'm not trying to be like the, the columnist sports writer, dude who's just like, Oh, these body these watch young whippers- logging on. Yeah. These young whippersnappers don't understand what they have, but like, really, I don't, I don't know that they understand yet that not every pairing of guys or not every good young team has a choice to make when it comes to we can be great. And I I genuinely believe these two can be great. They have to want it, though, and I don't know. It's hard to know when we'll know that because it might not be until they they fail on the playoffs again or play in, fail on the playoffs a second time. But I do think, to circle back on Simmons, I think the – The one big thing that stood out for me from him this year is we haven't seen these long swoons that he used to go on. I don't know if you remember his rookie year when they went on a West Coast trip. He had like, I think he had like one good game. Throwing his invisibility cloak. Against like Phoenix. And then like the rest of the road trip was just where the hell did that guy go? And like, what is he doing? And he's had a couple of those games this year. But they've been fewer and far between, and almost every time that he's had a clunker, he comes back out and he has a game like he did. Not maybe not t- quite to the level as he did against Cleveland, but he's certainly responding a lot better. What's his career high? Was Saturday his career
2: high? Saturday 34. was indeed his career 34. high. Thirty-four. I was like, he's not he's just not a guy that scores in the thirties.
1: No, I mean he's he's not really a scorer. Period. Yeah, yeah. But.
2: I mean, I'm not saying it in a negative way, but just curious.
1: Yeah. But so, uh, so what do you think is repeatable from that game against the Cavs on Saturday? It's,
2: it's almost like counter. And it's, it's a give and take where you say, let's maximize their minutes not playing together. Then at the same time, well, all that matters is how well they play together in the last two minutes of a game. And you're not going to figure out how to do that unless it's some sort of, you know, 10,000 hours theory where they need the reps. They need to like work on every single regular season game that they're both in the lineup with you know significant time there so i don't know what to do they're, they're stuck like we're talking about like oh talking about their championship no, talking about how they match up can they win a championship with this guys for my like general take is with these two guys just at the talent level they are now they could win a championship they're not going to be some like team that wins like three times in four years they're a team that like falls ass backwards into a championship like once every like half decade like they like they should have last year like they should have won the championship last year in my eyes and they were good enough to do it even though they weren't steamrolling teams i think they're that way this year the league's still open to me but if it's not like the way that you know this isn't a team we're gonna be talking about with these two guys as currently constructed aren't like a multi-year championship winning team but they could win one and that's all that matters sometimes
1: Yeah, and, like, I don't want to poo-poo the idea of, like, if they won a A title, that certainly would be a hell of an achievement. That's all I,
2: yeah, I'm I'm happy, like, that's never, like, I don't want to think it's a negative. If you're in a position to, as I said, it comes off negatively, like, fall backwards into a championship, that just means that you're not, like, the clear-cut, steamrolling, you know, 2013 Heat. That doesn't mean, like, you're bad. That means you're, like, a team that wins 55 games, and the league's a little bit open, and you go in and make some noise. And then you're, you know, if they did that, and they just won one time, they'd obviously be iconic figures in philadelphia it's not a slap in the face at all to say that they're just a team that they need a couple as currently constructed with their two talent levels it's not like they can just say hey if we play our game we're going to automatically win the championship it's just hey we could do this potentially if a couple other things fall right we could really win it all
1: yeah and like i tweeted this out shortly before we started recording you think about how much I don't want to say there's a lot of pressure on this team, but certainly the there expectations is. Is. are much higher. Yeah. They can't if they lose in the
2: second round, Brett's gone.
1: Yeah, for sure. So like the expectations are so high that even when they win against Toronto, the focus after the game, like rightfully so to a certain extent, the focus is on the end of the game and they can't they can't beat a trap and like that that stuff sucks. It, it's it's horrible to watch. And I get why people would dwell on that. And then you look at the standings, they're seventeen and seven. They they have the same exact record as the Clippers who were, won the off season according to everybody no, who follows no, no, basketball. You, you can't
2: say that shit about the Clippers when they have Kawhi. Like, yeah, do well, you know what I mean, like, yeah, like but Kawhi
1: has not has like pretty high ca- key not been as good this year. Who cares? Does he do you think he cares about the regular season after last year? I'm just saying, man, he doesn't look oh my god. He doesn't look right, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't
2: um, think he looks right until April when he realizes he <laughs> needs to start fucking playing. Well,
1: but all I'm saying is they're seventeen and seven. They would be tied for the two seed in the West. They're a half game back of the two seed in the east. And with a bunch of like surprise teams in front of them. And this is despite missing one of their starters for eight games. And B got suspended and then missed some games due to rest simmons left the game with an injury missed another one like there's been all these circumstances and yet here they are like still have a very good record will still win a lot of games this year are in position like their five man lineup numbers are great so on and so forth and so i don't want to sound too much like the sky's falling and this team can never be great and, like any of that stuff i don't i'm not ruling out anything for these guys and like the the subtext behind all of this is what i said is like I think they can be great and they can get to that level. Like they have that that type of talent and that type of upside. But like what what percentage would I put on that? I'm not really sure. Like I don't know how realistic it is to expect Ben Simmons to ever be a real shooter. I don't know how realistic it is to think Joel Embiid comes back this year after like the emotional defeat they suffered and it's just like he he certainly didn't improve in the off season. He improved versus double teams, but some of that is a a function of the the spacing and the the per, the planning around him. I just I don't know that I don't know where this team goes going forward. I do know they have a lot of talent, and I know that there's there's still luckily for them a lot of time to figure it out.
2: I'd rather be seventeen and seven with Kawhi and Paul George than with our two fellows <laughs> over here. Scorcher, but uh it's weird i feel so melancholy after a loss in a weird way just the way the game unfolded and now
1: after a loss well now they lost oh, i mean now. no sorry geez <laughs> after a win <laughs> it's like wow you're really taking this one we hard. got we, we even, have we have an unmor
2: an unmoral victory i guess
1: <laughs> turn a win into a loss that's a new one uh
2: i don't know i wish we had to pot after the the Cavs game right
1: Oh, it's a good thing we didn't pot out to the Wizards game because I just would have got on here Uh
2: trade everyone
1: absolutely just ream them out for how pathetic that game was yeah Uh. well so we brought up Richardson briefly
2: is he alive Kyle I'll
1: just uh, so for to be helpful to the public what I was told essentially is that there's I don't want to say essentially there is no structural damage is what I was told Okay. So. Again, famous last words from the Sixers. So take it for what you will. No structural damage, and the the thing the whole time has been, they're operating on a conservative timeline and saying we don't want to subject him to any more risk than is necessary. We want to get him up to a hundred percent, not ninety percent, not ninety five. Want him to be a hundred percent and have total confidence and explosion in that leg when he returns. And like. I get that. Soft tissue stuff sucks. He went through a full court workout Saturday. I have heard from some people he may play Tuesday against Denver. I think that's that may be as optimistic, but th- Thursday at Boston would also be a good one for him to return, and they certainly need some more perimeter creation against a team like Boston. But I, what I would say is that nobody should be uh, panicking yet, although obviously always – stay close to your battle stations just in case because the the medical history with this team obviously not great
2: do you think he'll get a huge round of applause in opening night 2020 for his first home game in 11 months
1: Seamus if uh, you're the one who said that not me I I don't think we're I mean I I, like it's
2: I would not be shocked if he doesn't play until like not opening day 2020 (laughs) like January I mean like I don't know nothing surprises me anymore
1: no, I don't think it's anything like that. They've been pretty – like. It, I think oh in the past with, uh, with the players that have had the saga type things, the problems were more apparent because the messaging was inconsistent. So maybe they're just fooling me with consistent messaging of he's continuing to progress and – He's doing well, but we're being conservative. Maybe I'm getting Jedi mind tricked into believing he's healthier than he is. But I uh, it could be. I think I think Josh Richardson is okay. I think we'll we'll see him back on the court soon.
2: Well, one thing we we did want to discuss. I think this is a smooth transition. Is whether we would make Matisse the spot starter now? I think you want to close with that point. Yeah. So are you yay or nay on that? I'm nay, just because in my mind, I'm assuming uh, he's a, Josh Richardson is alive and come playoff time, he will be the guy. I can confirm he's like- alive. Okay, I, cool. I
1: did see him tonight, unless we're talking about like a weekend at Bernie's. Situation. Oh, I'm into that. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he is. he's alive and well, from okay. what I can tell.
2: Okay, so when you in the playoffs, Josh Richardson is obviously going to be starting. I want Matisse to be ready for the role he's going to have in April and May, and ideally June. I don't want him ready for the role he's going to need to have in January, February. That's why, you know... Is Fercon like the best, you know, wing replacement on this team? Certainly not. And I think he should still play less than Ennis and Matisse overall. But I like having those guys come off the bench, get used to doing that. And especially where Matisse specifically is someone who's still getting used to as much as successes that he has had, he's still getting used to the NBA, still getting used to the rigors of the game, still getting used to timing. And I think keeping him in. The role he is now, which is the role he'll have in the most important games of the season, is crucial. So I'll keep doing Furkan unless, again, I want to trade for some sort of guard, you know, an off-ball guard who also work as a secondary initiator, someone like Josh Richardson, obviously, but a backup type player. Uh, I would have been in favor of acquiring someone like that to replace Furkan in that role, which is obviously goes without stating that hey, I want a better version of Furkan, but I would like to see them explore, you know, a trade involving. A contract of one of their wings and a future pick for a guy like that
1: yeah so i agree with you on keeping matisse in the bench role when when richardson is out like this because like i think of this just through the prism of like what normal people how they live their lives and go about their careers and this is something that took me a long time to learn because i was always resistant to listening to the people who told me this, but building routines into your life is just super important. Like just the act of like getting up in the morning and eating breakfast at a certain time or, or going to the gym at a certain time of day or, or just building these little things that structure your day out. And so you feel like, all right, I, I know I have to get this done in this block of time. I know I'm gonna do this, I know I'm gonna do that. I'm not organized enough where I keep a calendar or anything like that, but like that makes a big difference for me. And you hear these guys talk all the time, like JJ Redick was a a maniac about his routines pregame, and he gets a certain amount of shots up from certain sh- spots. I've heard on he's floor. had some bad routines. Uh, yeah, oh, story for another day. But yeah, like guys talk all the time about like they they say all the right things. So I just stay ready no matter what. But I think it's you can't really overrate just being in a specific role, having the game and your life and your career simplified for you in a way. He knows he's going to come in, he's gonna play next to James Ennis, Ben Simmons, Al Horford, and in many cases, Tobias Harris. And that's just, that's the group they roll with. And they, he's just comfortable in that way. I, I think the prioritization for him, because he's like, look, as much as he's been great lately, I don't think anyone thinks he's going to be like, he's not a future leading man or like leading star for this team. You want him to be the best possible role player he can be. And the way you do that is you don't jerk around his role. You say, look, kid, we're going to bring you on at this time. We're going to ask you to do this. We're going to ask you to do that. And it's that simple. So I, I am with you in that respect. I certainly think as the year goes along, they should have some less uh less FERC on, less Furkin time out there but uh yeah I, we're in agreement there I think leave the kid alone for now and and maybe eventually if he just proves that he's he's too damn good to leave off the the floor that you revisit that conversation but hopefully in uh a couple days from now Josh Richardson proves that he is not bernie from weekend at bernie's and it's kind of a moot point
2: so one last question then we can let's go our separate ways over under march 2021 as a time people are saying al horford needs to be benched matisse is starting
1: oh I'm, I'm way under so like I would say next year under. so like march 2020 <laughs> i i mean i'm sure there are tweets out there now that yeah. it's like matisse needs to start over over horford or over over somebody for that. He's manner. good. He's I mean, good where he's
2: at right now. Let him let him grow into his role. If if he need if he's that good that he needs to start, it's not a it's not a bad thing.
1: Yeah. By the way, I, I feel like we never talk about Al Horford. Just because had a It's a very look like how high he jumped on that block, dude. He made some great plays in transition. I I just he's so good with Ben really... as the as the five and that
2: Ben heavy lineups. I like him.
1: Yes, he's uh, he's a very good basketball player. Just wanted to acknowledge that. One one last last thing. Are we is there a Mac Collins loser of the week award winner
2: this week? Uh, y- y- it can't be Joel Embiid. He'll never be a loser of the <laughs> week in any way. Uh, there isn't any like clear cut candidates this week. Nick Nurse got a technical uh, tonight. Um, this is obviously recording Sunday night. Um, he doesn't like. He beat the Sixers last year, so he can't necessarily and won the championship. He can't necessarily just be a flat out loser. I like Darius Garland as the choice. I think he stinks.
1: You know, I, I so we I wrote these down. Yeah, like before we started. Uh, yeah, I actually uh, Kyle suggested.
2: Of, Kyle suggested this. I'm not just saying Darius Garland was my own idea. I do like Darius
1: Garland there though. I thought of a better idea. It's got to be Kevin. Kevin Porter Jr. Oh, he stinks. Yeah, for trying to flex at Norvel Pell for a dunk down 87 down points, down 44 points. Yeah, no, did that's you hear. Did that's all-time call of that. By the way, I did not. Did he freak so, out? So they showed a replay of it, and he goes, what are you flexing at, dude? You're down a 1,000 points. Oh, yes.
2: Alex wrecked him. I love it. Yeah, he's he's loser of the week big time. Big time.
1: Kevin Porter Jr., loser
2: of the week. I mean, he's not as big of a loser as – I don't even remember that guy's name. Something Burke.
1: Oh, uh, Dan Burke. Dan Burke. Freaking, yeah, Dan, Dan Burke, the inaugural award winner. If this was like a... Put his picture up on the wall in my house, <laughs> in my apartment. You know on SportsCenter Top 10, for how for a while they used to like... There was the number one thing that had to get like voted out. Or like TRL. Like, Dan Burke needs to be retired from <laughs> the... I with don't think he can be... Re- he's week. not getting beaten out by Kevin Porter Jr. <laughs> he's getting...
2: He's retired from the list.
1: Yeah, he's not retired yet. I think he Dan Burke lives on for another. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it like that. He still yes. He he <laughs> he's has got to beat the Dan championship Burke. belt. He's, he's still holding the belt. Yeah. All right. Well, he's holding the belt, but the this week's loser is Matt Collins. Loser of the week is definitely <laughs> Kevin Porter Jr. So shout out to him. <laughs> shout out to all you guys for for tuning in to another week of this madness, and uh, we will be back with you. I don't know. They're playing Boston this week, so we could be. I could, could see a. I could see for, a late
2: night Thursday pod.
1: Yeah, some takes. No promises, later in the week. but it seems we'll have like to see uh, about that possible. Yeah. And, until Wait, then, qu-
2: do you think oh, another Matt real Collins, quick? Do you think Matt Collins had a catch today? I'm looking at the Dolphins' back score.
1: Uh, I heard he had a, a big target? time offensive or defensive pass interference draw.
2: Uh, he had a target, so maybe that. Well, that one count. It was on the, That won't count as a target. So I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean that wouldn't count as your your attempts. You, you know already I mean like a defensive pass interference right. you count your attempts.
1: Listen, so we don't this is more time than Matt Collins deserves on this podcast. So
2: I, <laughs> <we're> gonna, <laughs> we are gonna end up saying his name literally every podcast for now. On. Yes,
1: but just to call people losers, that's the only reason why. We don't need to discuss his box score in a It was a Collins it was a loser game. box score, zero catches one target. All right, it's like well, Moonlight Graham and Field of Dreams. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. As always, if you could please subscribe, give us some five-star ratings. If you have questions, hit us up. If you have concerns, please tell somebody else. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.
0: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America.